This is Creative to Creative. Together, we deep dive into the creative and production processes of leading creatives, finding out what makes them tick, how they do what they do, and the challenges along the way. This is Creative to Creative, powered by Motion by Design. With over 15 years' experience in the motion design industry and starting an award-winning studio made by Things in 2015, a motion design and animation studio in Columbus, today, Matt works as the creative director at Made by Things and the director of creative mentorship program Make Create Club. Welcome, Matt, to Creative to Creative. The idea of this was to sort of reach out to some of our clients, but also some individuals that we sort of want to work with and or we're interested in finding out more about what they do. Um, I think the thing for me is like, um, I guess, looking at what you're doing on the other side of the world, I feel like you're very similar to us in a lot of ways, but also probably, you know, a little bit further ahead. And as I said, Adelaide's a very, a very country town. So like where our population's tiny, mate, absolutely tiny. Um, and I'm... <laughs> Some of what I want to find out is like how things differ over there, but also potentially just some of your insights for people who are, you know, starting an agency or doing things a bit differently. So um, I have noticed that, for instance, the first thing I've noticed was you're a motion designer, similar to me, you know, starting out and you've ended up running an agency. And for me, it was, I would say, a very accidental process. It just sort of happened overnight. You blink and it, it, it happens. Um, and I'm keen to hear the story of, of how that actually happened for you. Yeah. So it's funny that you say that. So many people that I talked to early on, I would ask them that question, like, how, how did you how did you start this up? Like, I'm trying to do that too. So how do I how do I do that? And so many people just said, Well, I don't know, it was kind of an accident. I kind of fell into it. Just weird connection, opportunity came up. And I'm like, oh, like that's, that's great, but I can't learn anything from that. So I, I always hated that response. And, uh, so for me, it was like, how do I go about going down this path that I don't know anybody that's intentionally gone down this thing before. And for me, this was, let's see. So I've been running made by things now for eight real years, I'll say. But even before that, it was working freelance nights and weekends and slowly building up a client base for probably six years, even before that. So over, over that course of time, like, so going to my day job, then going home, working at night, it was like, all right, well, what do I do? Like, how do I, how do I do this? Like, this is, I knew, I knew what I wanted, but I just didn't have that clear path to get there. And I, I guess, you know, you say that Adelaide's a small town. So I'm, I'm from a small town too. I, I feel like Columbus, Columbus, Ohio is where I'm at in the U S I feel like it's pretty relatively small. Um, or I don't know. I mean, it's maybe comparable with Adelaide potentially. <laughs> I think, I think we need to fact check this. This will be hilarious. Yeah, we, <laughs> let's, let's look at some population you do, reports you do, here. Yeah. You, you do Columbus and I'll do uh, Adelaide. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure Columbus has, I want to say 2 million. Uh, all right, let's see. Gee, for some, my Riverside, uh, screen just disappeared. Oh, there okay. we go. Um, so, oh, so we're 1.3 million. So we're living, the, Columbus, we're living the dream down here. <laughs> Columbus is 906,000. Oh, geez. It, it goes, it goes out a little bit further than that. 
So I think they they counted as two million like in the general area because it just yeah. goes out a bit farther. Yeah. But it's it's growing very quickly. Um, and so for me, I'm I'm from even smaller town in Ohio, like up north, like farm country. And for me, growing up as a kid, it was like yeah, you know, it's kind of adding to that story a little bit. For me, it was like okay, I gotta go. Like if I want to be an artist of any any sort that does graphic design, motion design, animation. Like I got to find my way to Los Angeles. That was, that was it. And you know, Los Angeles from me is not the same distance from Los Angeles to you, but it's pretty far <laughs> either way. Like <laughs> it's still 3000 something miles away, which I don't know if you go, but you could use miles or kilometers. Kilometers. kilometers That's, it's a long way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's either way. <laughs> like if you were to drive, it would be like 36 hours or so. Yeah. Uh, and I've done that drive three times, but, um, so for me it, as a kid, it was like, okay, I don't want to work in the same factory that my dad or brother worked in. Like, it's just a, a town where I just, I didn't feel like I belonged because I didn't want to just accept any of that stuff like that way of living. So for me, it was like, I need to escape to Los Angeles at some point. And, um, I went to college in Pennsylvania and then worked there for a couple of years after that. And it was like, you know what? I've never even taken a vacation there before. Like, why do I even, how do I even know I want to live there? So I decided to take a, a one week trip with my wife. Well, just girlfriend at the time. And we ended up sort of staying there because I met a few people and um, basically offered two weeks worth of work. So I had to quit my job for the promise <laughs> of basically just two weeks worth of work. And that was probably one of the scariest moments of my life. But um, so for me, I was like, okay, if I want to, if I want to learn from the best, if I want to figure out this path, be around these people that I could ask questions to. Like, again, even during this time, I was like, yeah, I'm just changing my full-time job, but I'm still going to be working nights and weekends regardless, because I'm still trying to work towards something. Mm. And so whenever I went there, I started working at some, uh, a cool studio there that, yeah, doing primarily visual effects work, but I was like trying to work more to the design side of things. And at a certain point, I kind of realized I'm like, all right, we've worked on like a lot of big brand things. Like, I don't really care anymore about the brands. I care more about the work and doing cool stuff. And in that position that I was in whenever I was there, I didn't have as many opportunities to do really cool stuff. So I was like, all right, I'm going to leave. I don't, I don't want to stay here anymore. Uh, my first was just born. I was like, this isn't really the place that I want him to grow up. Yeah. So we kind of worked our way back to Ohio and I was like, all right, when we do this, when we go to another city, like I'm 100% starting my own company. Like I've been doing this at this point for, again, it's like five, six years at this point. I was like, I, I'm, I need to work closer to this. Like, I'm not just trying to keep job hopping. Like I, I don't, want to do that. Like, I don't want to work for anybody else anymore, <laughs> mm. but I just, I didn't have the clients to do it just yet. And, um, so yeah, so we, with a, with a one month old, my wife and I moved to Columbus, Ohio, which is still a few hours away from where I grew up, but in a town that, like I said, is, is growing, it's still small, but it's, uh, I don't know. It, it's very close knit 
And one of the things that I wanted to do was, okay, what makes Los Angeles so special, right? And really, it's just, it, you just have a lot of people. Is it special though? Is Los Angeles Well, exactly. Special? I guess that's, I guess that's what I'm saying is like, there's just, there's just a lot of people there. It's, it's not really that special. So I'm like, you know what? I'm like, what I'm going to do is take some of the good stuff there and I'm going to try to bring it here. And one of those things was community. Uh, yes, there is large communities there. Again, there's just lots of people and they're able to have events that have hundreds of people show up on a moment's notice. And that's super cool. But I was like, well, okay, wherever I go. So it just happened to be Columbus, Ohio. I was like, all right, the first thing I do when I get here is I'm just going to meet as many people as I possibly can and become part of the community here and start networking and start building more local clients, which I was never really able to do at that point. And, you know, it's, is learning, learning a lot of good things and bad things along the way, as far as like how to handle clients, trying to build something one tiny step at a time. Um, so fast forward again, eight years and, and here we are, I now have, um, at the moment we have 20 people on the team. We are all remote. We all work different places in the U S. Um, and yeah, we don't work, we don't work with like huge brands, but we work with, they're relatively large. Um, they're not necessarily fortune 500 companies all the time that we're working with. And we're able to do what I believe is, is cool stuff that people trust us to do things that are quite different. And that's kind of, that's the, that's the short version of kind of that, that path. I feel, I feel like my journey was very similar. So I worked for a lot of people, a lot of industries. I actually left advertising and video production and moved into a corporate role to try to follow the money. So moved away from where I thought the limitations were in, in our industry. And I thought about moving to Melbourne or Sydney, um, for that, you know, the bigger job work on the bigger brands and decided against it. And that's, yeah, that, that's when I went corporate. And then I'd sort of was involved in the marketing side of it for a good four or five years, which really amplified that sort of missing piece for me where the connection between the video and the marketing and the strategy sort of all, you know, aligned together to actually form results. Um, and I noticed that for instance, on your website, that's, that's one of your, your big selling points. Like, I think there's a lot of people out there who, uh, essentially just make pretty stuff. And I think pretty stuff is good, right. but I mean, realistically, you know, clients are paying for results, right. Based upon on what we do. And that result could be views. It could be a call to action with people buying stuff. Um, what's your approach on some of this? That's a good observation. Cause one of the big things, I guess, as far as building something is, well, how, how am I different than anybody else? Like why, why wouldn't somebody just go to somebody else? Because here's the thing, we're not the best at this stuff, right? And that's, that's something that I've always, you know, try to work towards. Like, yeah, I would, I would love to be in that conversation of like, yeah, they're top five, top 10 motion design company in the world. I'd love that, but it's not super realistic and Next I'm year. okay with that. Next year. <laughs> Next year. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so it's like, okay, well, if that's the case, I guess 
you know, there was also something that I was seeing around me where there was people leading a lot of companies that were similar that honestly, I was like, oh, I don't understand how they're like so busy. They're a multi-million dollar company. Like, how are they doing? Like I do by myself, I did better work than some of these companies did. And I was like, I don't get it. And it, for whatever reason, it took me too long to realize like they were offering something more than just doing great work. Part of that is a, an understanding of the business that these people are operating in. If you do go into these conversations, do go into um, I don't know, some of these strategies or some of these projects with a strategy of some kind and show that you, one, understand business, at least at a better than basic understanding. If you understand that people are coming to you, they are spending their budget, spending their money on you for a specific result. Like they have a goal of some kind. Now, now clients think that you, that, that the process is like, okay, I tell them exactly what I want. Like we're some kind of AI engine of some kind, I guess, that they can just <laughs> type in what they want and then we shoot it back to them. Right. I wish that's yeah. Right. And that's, um, so in a lot of those early conversations, you'll see people saying like, so for us, the number one email we get is like, Hey, we're looking to make some kind of explainer animation for this. I'm like, that's great, but that's not really what you're, what you're trying to do. And I don't say that, but I'm like, let's, let's go deeper. Like, why, why are you trying to do that exactly? And then you figure out like, oh, you know what? We're, we're trying to boost awareness in our company. And I'm like, bam, like that's, as soon as I get to that, then I'm like, like, as soon as I get to somewhere that, um, it's kind of along the journey of a sales funnel of some kind, then I know I've reached some kind of real goal. So then it's like, okay, well, if you're trying to gain awareness, Hey, what about doing something like this? And then this, and then we mix in a little bit of that, <laughs> um, you know, based on the company and their brand, just different ideas come up. But then whenever it's like, Hey, so now instead of you spending this on just an explainer, we want to give you three pieces of this to help you gain awareness. So that's probably the biggest thing that, that I do at, at this point that probably gets us a lot farther in conversations than sometimes we probably should be, but, um, <laughs> that's, that's what it takes. Like if we understand that business side of things, and if we do have work that is good, right? Like you can't do this with bad work. If you can show that you can adapt to different brands with different styles, um, it can be tough for, for clients to trust still, but. I think part of the game, as far as marketing goes for me is always, how do I reduce the risk for them or uh, what, what is, feels like a risk? What does success look like for them is the question I, I often ask. Um, yeah. and, uh, I mean the deliverable side of things that that's, that's sort of thrown a lot of complexities in for us because, you know, when in video world changing something from 16 by nine to a nine by 16, if you're shooting 4K, mm -hmm. it's not the end of the world and you can plan for that, but, um, I'm sure you've experienced this, that now we're delivering more deliverables for vertical, for four by five, for square. You know, some of them are much easier than others, but redesigning a 16 by nine animation to fit vertical is, it, it takes a lot of work and, and often clients just expect that, or, you know, send an email be like, Hey, can we get a vertical version as well? Yeah, cool. No worries. That'll take an extra 20%. Like right. sometimes, sometimes it's quite a, an ordeal. How do you sort of 
factor that in? Are you you're obviously sound like you're you're factoring that in before approaching the project and and making sure that the deliverables are are sort of the the main objective. Is that, is that the the way you sort of approach business with clients? Yeah, I I think um, there's a lot of people out there that will say like, oh, you don't need like any crazy kind of agreement with people. You just you know, the one page agreement, just get them to sign this thing. And, um, I think that people fail to understand, like the agreements that we have people sign, it's not about what happens if we have to go to court or legal action needs to happen. That's, that's not what it's about. It's really about like, how do we make sure that we are both completely aligned on what is being asked for here? Um, so if something, if a request like that comes up, so I, I'm laughing because literally an hour ago, I have a client that reached out to us and they're like, Hey, you did this video at 16 by nine. We want to use it at an event. And that's like, I don't know what that dimension was. It's just, I mean, event displays are always like really weird dimensions, Yeah. yeah. but it's like, I don't know, maybe like 16 by six or something and, for, and probably 60 pixels high or something ridiculous yeah it's it's definitely <laughs> low and then they were saying that they need their logo at the top and i'm like okay like that what i ended up doing was like okay is this something that i want to charge for or not like do i not even want to worry about it and just this one's for the relationship basically mm. um but when they sent that message over the last line was like yeah, let us know what you'd charge for that. Yeah. And it's like, that's, I don't know, that's something that you uh, take for granted sometimes because just the fact that they are completely aware that when they make a request like that, that it costs extra, like then you know that you're starting to work with good people that actually care about your best interests. Absolutely. Yeah. And, the, the and there was one, a. The best one we've had recently is just charge us what it costs. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Complete trust, obviously, but that's, that's what you want because you're building relationships right. and you're not rorting people. And, you know, as you say, like sometimes you, you give a lot for free or you, right. you go, well, that, that, that will help you guys significantly. So yeah, no worries. Mm -hmm. You can do that. Sometimes it's worth right. it. I think, I, I think a lot of that kind of goes into another really important part of the whole puzzle of like, you know, if you go off onto your own, one of the most important things is the relationship with a client. Um, I don't know. Like people will say like, there's like bad clients and like clients from hell and all this stuff. And I get it. There's like things that happen and maybe this is just kind of how I am, but anytime stuff like that ever happened, I'm always like, what did I do wrong here? Like I messed something up. If this client is being crappy right now, like, I enabled something in this, like, what did I do? And, you know, for me, it's always like, okay, looking for red flags and figuring out like, okay, what point should I have just walked away from this relationship? And, you know, you get to those points and that's unfortunately one of the hard lessons that you can't really just read from a book is you have to work with people that just do those kinds of things sometimes where you're just like, the expectation is completely off and you just have to roll with it by saying like, okay, I messed this up. So I will make sure from now on <laughs> to not let that thing happen. And, and I guess to me, it goes to my, the agreements that we have with our clients where it's like, we try to be specific, but also speak in a reasonable manner. 
and you know we have a video for clients to watch through before we even work with them that's like 18 minutes long and it's wow. like all right here is what we expect at every single step of the process um yeah yeah nice um you mentioned before that you run a remote team so um i've actually been very adverse to remote working um during COVID, we were very lucky in, in Adelaide because we're so small that we, we really only shut down for two weeks over the, the whole process of COVID. And um, for us, that sort of enabled us to sort of keep coming into work. Um, we've got obviously complexities around file sharing and, and security of data, for instance, when we go, if we go remote. So we've, we've sort of avoided some of those decisions. But how do you sort of work remote? What sort of tools do you use and how do you... I guess, maintain that creative feel, like, you know, how do you, I guess, force those, you know, creative catch-ups and, you know, client and peer reviews and, you know, interactions that way? Yeah, I, I don't think that we have a perfect solution for this. I think it's something that on a, for us and for me and our team, I think we're always learning new ways and experimenting with different things. As far as, like, file stuff goes, I mean, there's a lot of, like, cloud-based file things like Dropbox and Google Drive. Um, we don't normally have any issues when it comes to that. I mean, we there's times where somebody names the file wrong and I'm like, hey, no, we can't do that. Like, it's real easy here. Let's all get together and let's talk about file naming. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that kind of stuff happens. But, I mean, it happens in Office too. Um, Every day, but, mostly me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, you know, how do you make it as creative as an environment as you possibly can? I think a lot of it comes down to trust. Weirdly enough, I don't, this sounds bad, but like, I don't usually care what anyone's doing. What I do care about, however, is here's our schedule. Here's when things need to get done. As long as things get done, I don't care what you're what you're doing. You want to take a nap in the middle of the day? I had an illustrator on our team that she just said, I'm going to have a long lunch and then I'm going to go to the gym. And everyone just gave a thumbs up. Like that's, that's the kind of environment that I've always wanted. I just, I hate the idea of like, we're heads down working for like eight hours a day. And then that's it. You know, now I, I do always try to make sure that everyone has a good balance of some kind. Uh, I think that's a really difficult thing about remote work. Um, but I don't know. I, I think a lot of it starts with me though. You know, whenever I was working nights and weekends for the last 14 years or for, you know, 14 years ago, it was like learning those kinds of things. Like, all right, how do I turn this off and then be with family? Like, how do I do those things? So I, I guess I just had a lot of practice when it came to that, making a lot of mistakes then. But for me, there's, there's a couple non-negotiables and one of them is working late, working the weekends. Um, there, there are times where it does happen, but everyone on the team knows that when it does happen, somebody messed up when it came to managing this project. So let's not do that again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know. I just, again, staying creative though is, it's really just checking in with people and making sure that they are being challenged 
which I think is another tough part about being remote because you don't always know, like, like, I don't know what they've been doing the last couple hours, but I think that, I don't know, when you get into it, it's much easier to tell, like, if, how hard somebody's working on something or the progress that they're making on things. Yeah, you can um, just tell, particularly, you know, when it's similar to you and I, when you've been in the industry, you know how thing, long things take and you get used right. to people, you know, doing stuff in a certain way or a certain timeline. I think it's that gut feel, isn't it? Like, you know, you right. need to allow creativity and flexibility in our, in our industry to let people flourish and, and do what they want and do the way they want to do it. Um, and I think that's what makes, you know, obviously employees do good stuff, but it, as a company, it, it's what sort of thrives the culture, I guess. Um, you know, you guys need to love what you do and you need to have your own space to do what you want to do. I mean, you, you, that's why you employ the people you employ because they're good at something right. and you let them do what they, they're good at. Right. And, um, I don't know, like, I guess that's what, like, people are also going to make mistakes. So maybe I, I guess I just feel like with a remote team, it takes a certain kind of leadership and you have to kind of adapt. Like you can't be the same leader as a remote team that you can, if you're in person. Um, but th that's kind of the other thing is, is like, yeah, if, if somebody's taking a long time on something, you got to kind of be able to notice like, Hey, where is that? Mm, like you're, yeah. you're, if you're still working on that, it's probably, you're doing it a wrong way or you messed something up. Like what's going on and being able to have those honest conversations often, I think is, is really important. So, you know, a big thing for me is like, Hey, can we chat for five minutes? Like I'm, everybody on the team, like all the time, that's, that's like my big thing is like, so we get on a video call and we chat through something and then on the way. We've, um, we've developed a process where, um, I guess my goal for this year is to be a more sustainable business, like across the board, really, but mm -hmm. also for, for myself. So, you know, as, as you've probably experienced, like when you're starting out, you just work a lot. Um, I think I took my first holiday at the end of last year for four years and I was just like, I needed to, to take a break. And, um, we actually went through a process last year of, of essentially trying to force scale the company, um, I wanted to get into a position where we had obviously more of a clear cut, you know, spend X, get Y worth of clients. Um, and that way we could develop a man management structure and bring in a few more individuals that could sort of, you know, I guess fit into the pie. Um, I gave up pretty quickly, actually. I thought, you know what, this isn't, this isn't for me. Um, I don't, I don't want world domination. I want to be a small little agency yep. and do cool stuff. But more importantly for me, it's sort of, flagged, bringing people in to manage creatives is always going to be difficult. Um, mm -hmm. and for me, it, I've, I've basically decided to choose something differently. So we're, we're now sort of collectively managing. So we've got the crew sort of managing their own timelines. They're managing their own work. They're collectively reviewing each other's stuff to sort of, I guess, promote improvement in the work, but also, you know, learn new skills and adapt for new things. And, I think um, I'm interested to see where it's going to go for us because I've told a few people and they're like holding their breath going cringe. That's not going to work, <laughs> but um, yeah. you know, give it a go. See what happens. I don't know. <laughs> I, there's so many different ways of making all this work. Also, if you hear any kids jumping and screaming, they just got home from school and they're crazy. <laughs> um, so there, there's so many different ways of managing a creative company. And, uh, I don't, I don't, 
I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen like a wrong way or something that's clearly the wrong way. But I think what I've seen, probably the biggest thing that I've seen is that a lot of the industry at this point wants to be freelance. So when they say things like that, it's like, well, do you require people to like be full-time or do you let people be freelance if they want to be freelance? So for us, like we do occasionally use freelancers, but what I've instead tried to do is like, okay, let's have a full-time team, but let's try to offer the benefits of being freelance. Um, so yeah, so again, you want to take a long lunch. You want to go to the gym in the middle of the day, like fine with me, as long as things get done. Um, we're noticing, but, we're noticing in Australia, like on the freelance side of things that a lot of agencies and clients, but they're all getting sick of using freelancers because they're all mm. through all this promotion of freelance, you know, making a lot of money or, you know, the lifestyle choices, they, they're all very strict on the charging, you know, X an hour, no matter what. And normally that's pretty much, you know, the rate that we charge as agencies these days. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the, the freelancer style of, of work is, is certainly an interesting one. It's going to be interesting to see that evolve this year. Um, I think, you know, right. we're going to be, you know, we're obviously going to be picking up more freelance stuff because the freelancers are charging more money and we're, we're obviously guaranteeing deliverables and project management and actually looking after right. a, a project along the way. But we also don't charge for things like your, you know, you, your nine by 16s or your little additional projects and stuff. Right. Do you, do you guys work with a lot of freelancers or are you seeing that across the board in your area as well? I think for me, freelancers are expensive and that's not necessarily like, I'm not saying that you know, all freelancers should reduce their prices. I think freelancers are supposed to be expensive. Hiring freelancers is more of a luxury than it is like a, a need necessarily in some cases, I guess. Um, in our case, it's, it's luxury because the only time that we use freelancers is if we have a pro another project request and we want to do it, but we don't have the staff to do it. I could simply say no. If I didn't want to work with, with freelancers at that point, I would just say, nope, sorry, we're at capacity. We cannot take on anything else. Um, but at that point, then it's like, okay, well, you know what? This is an interesting project. Maybe we can get this person on from the full-time team, but let's just try this whole thing with, you know, three people that are freelancers, like whatever. So that's primarily the way we do things. But if I see that I'm spending as much or more money on a freelancer that I could having a full-time person there. I'm going for a full-time person every time. Yeah. So I, I don't know, like to me, it's, it's really a numbers thing. And I guess that's, that's probably one thing that I'm not sure a lot of freelancers really understand is that, um, you know, <laughs> they, they are a luxury item basically. And it's, it's, for me, I always believe it's better to have a full-time person on the team because that person's always there and they're able to help with a bunch of different things. Uh, at the same time, they get the added benefits of health insurance, uh, retirement benefits. Uh, they get sick time. So like they get a lot of added things too. 
to, to, to be there. And I don't know, I guess I think that in general, I feel like freelancers put being a freelancer on a pedestal of some kind where they think that's the ultimate thing. And then this is kind of a different topic here, but it's just something <laughs> that I see is like, you know, freelancers are like, they're like, yeah, yeah. Like everyone wants to be a freelancer and that's great. But what people don't realize is like, okay, it's not just doing your job, but now you're free. That's not, that's not what you do. Now you are an owner of a company and you have to pay taxes. You have to figure out how to pay taxes. You have to have an accountant. You need to have, you know, if you're going to start hiring out other things, you're going to need your uh, legal team or attorney of some kind. Uh, and then you're also going to have to figure out how to keep the work coming in. You're going to have to spend a lot of time with business development and, and growing those relationships. And when you do all of that, well, now you have about half of your time to do the actual thing. So you need to so charge like, twice as much. That's why it just, that's why it costs so much. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, I mean, exactly. And I'm like, and that's why I say like, I don't, I don't mind the fact that freelancers charge more, but again, the more people charge, like I always have to consider that it's like, okay, you know what? We spent this X amount of dollars on a freelancer this year to do design work. Well, clearly we just need a designer on the team. Totally. Like, yes, yeah. they might not be busy constantly, but the data is telling me what to do. So let's just do that. Yeah. The freelancer thing is an interesting, an interesting, um, topic. Like I, I, I didn't think we'd actually talk about that sort of stuff, but um, for me, like, as you say, like the numbers is immediately obvious when you start using lots of contractors, you know, you're better off to, to bring them in because not only is it cheaper, but then you know, you have them on the team to bring in other skill sets and give them more time to do other things. Um, right. and, and like the battle to, I guess, not, not necessarily convince freelancers, but obviously provide a workspace that is enticing for those who are good enough to be a freelancer, but want to work for someone is an interesting, it's an interesting right. sort of topic these days as well, where, you know, you're obviously providing a great workspace where you can work remote. Um, you can work the hours you want to work, which is, which is very conducive of that freelancer life. So, you know, I think that you've, you sort of tick a few of those boxes where they get the luxury of working when they want to work, but they don't have to pay for the accountant, the lawyer and make their website and worry right. about bringing in work, which is fantastic. Yeah. My favorite people to hire are people that were just freelance. So people that have already, you know, done that, tried it, realized that they probably don't like it as much. And then, oh, hang on one second. I'm, You're right. Hold on one second. I forgot to lock the door. I feel like that's obviously uh, a good segue maybe into asking. So one of the things that I want to focus on is the old work-life balance, the, uh, the very difficult topic. Um, yeah. And as I said, for me, sustainability is, is high on the list. So for me to be able to, you know, take three weeks off, for instance, or call in sick for, for three weeks. So obviously you manage a, a young family as well and, and, a, and a large organization. How have you got to that stage? Um, it's, it's difficult, right? It's, uh, it comes with its challenges, but I think that as long as you understand what the real priority is here, it kind of helps make every, it just puts things into perspective. Like the business, maybe this sounds bad, but made by things <laughs> as a business is a family member. 
Stop right. saying it. This might sound bad. I remember when you when you first said this might sound bad. Uh, I don't know what my staff does. Um, it's the same. It's the same as me. I was like, neither do I. It's, it's, good. I think I think good. it's normal. Stop saying it sounds bad. I, I just I don't know. Like because so so many people are just like okay, like yeah, yeah, like family is always always the priority. But again, like like yes, they they are a priority. But like you know, does my son need to be picked up from school? Or does he need somebody to help him play Zelda? Like, <laughs> like those are two different levels of priority at any given moment, right? I think for me, what helped the most was not establishing bad habits early, early on. So those things like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, tell, like people tell their wives, like, oh, yeah, just give me another hour. Like, I'm just, uh, just tonight's a really late night. Like, those are bad habits. And... When you start forming those things, especially early on, those things stay with you. And it's just, it's crazy to me, the people that I meet that are like, you know, you, you say I haven't taken a vacation in so many years to me, that's another one of those non-negotiables. I'm going to get my vacation. Even if everything falls apart, I'm going to leave. <laughs> and I couldn't do that to my team, you know, I, well, I guess part of it is like, you, know, you also have to like plan for it. Like, okay, in yeah. three and a half months from now, I'm going to be taking a week off. What needs to happen for me to be able to do that? What I, what I can't do is tell the team today, okay, I'm not going to be here for the next five days. I can't do that. Um, but if you have a good amount of notice for everybody and you figure out what do people need to know, it becomes a little bit more easy. Now, I don't take like 10 weeks of vacation every year. I think last year I may have taken four weeks of vacation. I think I did two two one-week vacations and then just a few days here and there, basically. Mm. Um, but to me, that was kind of the goal of growing the team. Because before that, like it was just when it was just me or when it was just two people, even, I couldn't do those things as easily. Um because I just, I held too much of the knowledge and the understanding of doing something. But now with a bigger team, I'm able to tell a client like a week ahead, just be like, Hey, you know, what? I'm going to be out, but Corey's going to take care of you here. Uh, or Shelby's going to like, let me know of how everything's going. So I'll still be paying attention, but I just won't be in the meetings. Yeah. And I don't know. Like, so, so there's, I guess, let me say that there's also times where I'm never like 100% without like, like unable to communicate with me. Right now I always make it a challenge to the team. Like, okay, I'm going out the, the f more problems you solve on your own, the better. So when you reach out to me, you're going to text me, not message me on Slack. And you know, you know, if you break something, then obviously like, I'm not going to be, happy. So why don't you tell me as something's breaking, if there's an emergency of some kind. Yeah. And so often, like, I don't know, there's a handful of times where they would reach out and be like, Hey, this person isn't able to do this thing in time. What do you want us to do? Honestly, my, my initial response is to let it sit for an hour <laughs> because even when people think that they have an emergency, when you give them an hour, they more often than not come up with a solution on their own. So it's like, you know, not letting people like flail, but like give them, give them a chance. 
make them think that they are on their own and see what happens. And I would say one out of every three times they solve their problem on their own. And then if it does really need my attention, it's like, oh, you just need to tell this person this thing. And then that's, yeah. that's it, you know? But at this point, I don't get into the software anymore. I don't, you know, I'm not the one doing any of the animation. And so I don't have to worry about that stuff nearly as much. It's usually just from like a business or management perspective that I'd have to respond to an emergency. I still fill in when we've got um, obviously team members down or whether they're sick or, or on holiday. Um, and there mm -hmm. are some, there are still some aspects where I'm trying to train people to sort of hand certain areas across, but um, same as me, like I've sort of moved into more of that, that business side of things rather than the doing, um, which was an interesting progression, but um, right. it's, it's a slow and sure one. And, and the more I let go of it, the more I'm happy to let go of it, to be honest, because you know, your staff yeah. end up doing better jobs than you. I mean, that's why you employ them, right? Because they're, they're amazing at what they do. Right. Yeah. I, um, what I'll do, mate, is I, was, I, I can hear that. Um, although you, you, you killed your children are surprisingly quiet at the moment. I, you, I, there was a big scream and now there's nothing. <laughs> so. Yeah. They're running up and down the steps and I asked my wife to try to wrestle them down, but she must have one of them and <laughs> well, I've not I've only got a couple more, mate. So I think um, I, I, might ask, I might ask them now and that way you can finish up whenever you want. So we've got like mm -hmm. a bit of a, a fast five type situation here. Um, I don't know whether I sent these to you, but uh, it's probably best that I didn't because some of the people I've interviewed in the past, I felt like had too much of a practice to answer. So, <laughs> so yeah. do you prefer to work in a team or alone? A team. If you weren't in the creative, in <laughs> if you weren't in the creative industry, what would you do? Oh man, I don't think that there was ever a life for me outside of creative stuff. Um, like I, I don't know, maybe like food-related things, uh, but even that I consider to be in the creative world. Um, e eating or cooking? Both. Oh. <laughs> like cooking, right? Like I always tell my wife, I'm like, one day I'm going to have like a food truck. And she's like, you don't like making food. I'm like, no, I really don't. But there's something to this idea of like, I don't know, being able to make food for people and just the, the instant enjoyment they get to have from something that you made. Out of the pan. Know, something special. Out of the pan and into the fire, that sounds like. Isn't, isn't being a chef one of the most <laughs> difficult you know, a most uh, challenging jobs out there. That's what I hear. <laughs> I think that's what would be fun about it though. Listen, I, so listen, I don't know if I'm just weird or what, but like, I've always been really interested in challenges to the point where I, I didn't, but I thought about, uh, smoking just cause I was curious how hard it was to stop. I'm like, is it like, I'm like, I bet you I could do it. Like, that sounds like an interesting challenge. Obviously I know there's more to it than that, but that's, those are the things that I think about. Where do you, where do you stop heroin ice? <laughs> like, <laughs> I probably wouldn't go that far. <laughs> um, if you were a type of cheese, what cheese would you be? How many, how many times have you asked this question? Uh, five. There's been some interesting. Ones. Okay, so somebody, somebody at some point has said Gouda, right? 
No, no, that's the first. No? That's the first time, yeah. Well, I'd either say Gouda or American. <laughs> Are you an organized or a messy person? Uh, I'm extremely organized. Nice. I've, most of the people I've interviewed are either a combination or a messy, I think. So yeah, you're doing well. Uh, what is your favorite font? My favorite font, you know, I've never been too attached to any one font, but if I was to pick one, um, I feel like everybody would say Helvetica. Um, I, I'm going to be fun here and say lobster. You know lobster? I'm not even sure what that is. Yeah. Let's have a look. Lobster. Is that your brand one? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. That's a pretty cool font. It looks like uh, something I'd see on the front of a baseball uniform or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't know. That one always stands out as, as something like when I was learning early on that I just always loved that one. I tried not to use it too much. I never, I never use it today, but it's fun. Next week you use it. You just slip it into a client's project. I'm going to now. <laughs> yes, yep. please do. Um, and then the, the final question is, um, what, what advice would you give to your past self or someone starting out in the creative industry? Oh, let's see. Um, one of the things that I, a quote that I love more than anything is from Alan Watts. He says, you're under no obligation to be the person you were five minutes ago. And I don't know why, but that quote is the most meaningful quote to me personally. And I, I think it's because of this idea of not being afraid to go down a path, to go really, really deep down into one path, but also not have this fear of failure in that thing or fear of changing your mind. So many people don't go down that path because they're like, well, I, you know, I, I don't know if that's what I want to do, but what people don't understand is like, we'll just go down that path and then you can switch paths at any point. Like if you find that this isn't for you, then go down a different one. Now for me, you know, I was, I, probably at the age of 11 or 12, I was saying I wanted to be an artist of some kind. So for me, maybe that's a little bit easier said than done. But to me, my path was, was always relatively clear. I mean, you know, there was some, I don't know, some conversation about like, okay, do I want to be an architect? Do I want to be like an illustrator, a designer, or an animator, or do video? But I think that like over time, I sort of narrowed that a bit more. And I think that a lot of people discount what specializing means as far as like the amount of time that you're able to spend on something, the amount of skill that you pick up in that certain thing if you specialize in that area. Now, I'm not saying like, Okay, do animation, but only do the legs for walk cycles. Like, I'm not saying that level of specialization, but like, just to even say like, okay, I am a motion designer that does 2D, 3D. So to me, I feel like that's pretty specific. 
but there's that you can go more specific. You can be just 2D, just 3D. The more special uh, specialized you go, the more detailed you get, more focused you become, the quicker you learn these things, these skills that come along with it. And, um, and the more you get to charge for that thing that you, that, you know, that's the general rule that I've found is when, when you specialize in a thing and there are few of the people that specialize in that thing, you command much more money to do that thing. So it's kind of this sort of balancing act of like, okay, how far do you want to specialize? But so many students that I see coming out of college right now, they're like, they have a portfolio that has like logo design, graphic design, 3D animation, audio. Here's some of my music. And also here's some of my traditional drawings and paintings. Like, I don't, that that's so confusing to even be able to see like, okay, what is it that I would hire you for exactly? Like, just because you pro- you've proven this thing once isn't enough for me to hire anybody to do anything, honestly. So I guess what I would say is not being afraid of specializing in a certain thing, but also not being afraid to change your mind later on. Great advice. Yeah. I think um, we often get resumes from people who are like a specialist in one thing, like um, they're good at cloth dynamics or something. I'm like, that's really Mm -hmm. cool. Don't know where I'll use that, but that's really cool. (laughs) (laughs) We have, um, we have a big uh, post-production facility here in Adelaide um, called Rising Sun Pictures and they do like Harry Potter and the Matrix and stuff. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I get a reel that, you know, it's a scene out of Harry Potter or something. And they said, see that one special effects in the whole, you know, Harry Potter or that one lighting effect. I did that. I think that takes the specialist thing to the next level, to be honest. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a really no, good, but like, really I, good answer. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's it though. Like those people that, that specialize in those things, like, yeah, you, for a small amount of time, you probably got a pretty good rate on that, <laughs> but then you have to spend a lot of downtime. So you got to keep on honing your craft. And, yeah. yeah. I guess onto the niche thing then. So like talking about niching. So like where there's, there's one sort of motion graphic conference here in, in, in Australia that uh, we sponsored last year and, and everyone who got up was going on about niching and how important it is for industry and how important it is to win clients. And I've noticed uh, over the past few years um, that in America, there's, there's a lot more agencies specializing, specializing in certain industries. So it might be a digital agency that just specializes in coffee, for instance, right? And they have maybe 15 accounts that are all coffee. Whereas in mm-hmm. Australia, it's, it might be similar to you where I feel like they're all much more worried about com- competition more than that. And so they, you know, if you have an account with, you know, let's just say one coffee provider that you, you won't be allowed to do another one or they'll be like, no, nah, we don't want to use mm-hmm. you. So like, I mean, to right. some extent it's like, you know, you obviously learned some lessons from the, the previous client and moved it along to sort of handball them, which is great. But, um, how do you sort of see niching in, in for your agency, like, and, and in your sort of world out there? Yeah, I think that's interesting. I, I think that's one of those things where every, every company, every person is sort of has a different feeling about that. Now, again, like early on for me, it was like, well, I don't want to like 
turn people down. So like, I don't want to say that I'm not for other people, but that idea of like, again, being more specific enough to be able to help a certain industry like coffee. There's another client that we have that they just deal with, they're another agency and they just deal primarily with like agriculture and farming and like dairy equipment and food. And I've always been like, God, that is, how do you even get into that? <laughs> like, that's crazy. But they have like a half a dozen clients, maybe a dozen that just come to them because they understand that industry. So again, this it has nothing to do with the actual work that you're doing, but everything to do with the relationship. So if you put your eggs in that basket, I'm not trying to have all these like dairy puns here, but they're coming up. Um, uh, uh, but if you, yeah. So if you can prove to people that you understand the industry, like, oh yeah, I know that once we do this, we're going to have to run this past this organization because they have to approve any of the language that goes on this stuff. And then, oh, also I know that you need a legal line at the end because I've done this several times and I have found that out on my own. Like you, this is very important for you. So when you have a partner that understands your industry and your skill set, it can grow that trust, grow that relationship so much better than somebody that's like, oh yeah, we just, we just make cool stuff that looks pretty. So I think, I, I guess I personally don't think that people here niche down enough. I think that maybe a lot of the companies that you do see reach a level of popularity because they have done that. And so many of the ones that haven't are just, I don't want to say that they can't succeed that way. I just think that it's much easier to grow if you know exactly who you're targeting as a, as a customer. Uh, the same is true of the companies that we work with. They have to have a target audience and so do we. And if we just say, uh, anybody between 18 and 55 that has a college degree, that's way too large of an audience. But if you say, you know, someone between 45 and 52, that is, uh, a senior, uh, production level manager at a uh, agricultural business. Like, whoa, now you know exactly who you're talking to. And that's where the special things start to happen, where it's so much easier to have those conversations, like to approach those people and just say like, hey, I do know your business and I do know like what you're doing. So I don't know, like, I, I don't think that you need to niche down, but I think when you do that, you make, a, you make life a lot easier for yourself and just, um, I, I think that's one of the things that I think that maybe some people are starting to realize now. Yeah. So potentially like more of a, an organic sort of niching rather than a set out to, to do that type of thing. So, you know, you just happen to be good at something and you learn more about that industry. So you attract right. more of that industry. Yeah. It makes sense. Right. So. I, I, you know, I didn't plan it. Initially we started working with a bunch of different companies and then we started working with just tech and financial and sometimes healthcare companies. And I'm like, that's super weird to me. Like I didn't necessarily try that, but it's something that like the more work that we did like that, the more we understood that thing and the better conversations we were able to have with some of these clients and building some of those relationships. 
it's interesting you mentioned those those industries because I was just thinking as you were talking, like the industries that we get most of our work are the tech space, finance, mm-hmm. financial sort of space. So like, you know, things like software in the finance world. Um, right. And then healthcare, healthcare for sure. Like, but at the same time, that's, that's what, you know, our products lend themselves the most to, you know, mm-hmm. talk, talking to mass media, simplifying the complex, you know, whether it's a software solution or a financial tool or something like that. So it's kind of like a, I guess, a natural progression where, you know, we're helping people understand these complex things or, or, you know, reaching people that, you know, might speak English as a second language, for instance, right through healthcare and, and really trying to, I guess, bring the accessibility back into some communication. So it makes total sense, right. but um, yeah, the, the fact that you're you're obviously the same same niche as me, I wonder whether that's the general motion design niche. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think I think that is a is a common thing that a lot of people experience, but it is weird. Um, what's the, the the most I guess the best job you've ever worked on in your in your eyes? Like, have you have you got something on the website you can be like this one? Was- um, Amazing. Yeah. So a, a company that we're working with right now is a company called Provide. So they are uh, healthcare, they are tech, and they are finance. <laughs> they are basically <laughs> the trifecta. The trifecta. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, they, they came to us and they said, like, hey, we want to do an explainer video. But they also understood that we understood video and we understand how to make something a little bit more unique than just another explainer. So they let us, they let us do an explainer and do like a brand story. And that, that is on our website. And that's probably one of my favorite projects right now to date. And a lot of it was because we got to put ourselves into this, especially me. Like I wrote the the script for it and you know, it's about this journey of a doctor that kind of grows up. Um, and, uh, they, you know, they experience difficulties along their journey. And I was like, well, that's the same thing that like a doctor would do. So let's, let's tell that, let's tell my story, but through that lens of (laughs) a doctor and then growing up to eventually own their own practice one day. And, um, yep. It's that this, one right there. This one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. It's beautiful, beautiful illustration and color palette. Thanks. Yeah. Nice. Um, but I, I do have to get going here. Yeah, sure. Mate. Yep. Cool. Um, well, it's been nice yeah, to meet okay. you. Nice, nice to meet you, you too. and, uh, find out a little bit more about you and, um, yeah, yeah please, please send through your bio and we'll, we'll do the introduction yep. and, and stuff. Um, yep. we've, oh, we've got yeah. like, I think, 10 in the bag already at the moment. Um, we want a couple more before we, before we go live, just so we've got, you know, stuff on the website and whatnot. So yeah. it might be, it might Love be it. a couple, might be a couple of weeks, but, um, yeah, thanks. Sounds very good. nice yeah, to me meet know. you. And, uh, yeah, as you said, you, you didn't let me down, mate. You're a very, uh, very smooth <laughs> talker and, uh, uh-huh. I'm very jealous of your communication skills. Listen, I always, I always have those vulnerability hangovers after I'm done. Cause I'm like, why did I say that? <laughs> This could be wrong, but <laughs> no, you did really well, no, really well. Very, I appreciate it. Very clear and uh, concise messaging, which was fantastic. Good to look, hear. I look forward to seeing more of your stuff on, on LinkedIn and, and online, mate. 
Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate it. Do you have to, uh, you have to end the recording so that mine can upload? Uh, possibly, you know more about this than I do. <laughs>